Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Focus is not actually the opposite of distraction. The opposite of distraction is traction. Of course it is. When you say it out loud, it makes total sense. Traction and distraction. They're opposites. They both come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. Reminding us, distraction is not something that happens to us. It is an action that we ourselves take. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur. And I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Nir Ayal. Near writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. He is the author of two best-selling books, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. His books have resonated with readers worldwide, selling over 1 million copies in over 30 languages. Today on the show, we discuss why technology isn't the main cause of distraction, what Near believes is actually the root cause of distraction, four steps you can take to finally stop procrastinating and eliminate distractions, why to-do lists don't work and what to do instead, why we delay things that we know are important to us, how to set up your phone to develop unbreakable focus, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Nir Ayal to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Nir, welcome to the podcast. I'd love to jump right in and talk about distraction before we get into procrastination. And I've heard you say something that isn't talked about, I guess, as often in that screens, technology, apps, etc., isn't the main cause of distraction. Why do you believe that? Because the the main uh, piece of evidence is that if screen, it's like it's like let's say um, I'm going to try and come up with this metaphor on the fly. I've never used this metaphor before, but let's say there's a crime that's committed. Okay, there's a murder, and uh, you've got a list of suspects. Okay, well, if you want to screen out the suspects, you find the alibi. Right, you find the person who can explain, "Hey, I I wasn't even there, so it can't be I I can't be the cause." But the people who are there, those are the people who are your your usual suspects. And so when we look at what I think a lot of people blame today, they blame the technology, they blame Facebook, they ba- blame uh, TikTok, they blame whatever the 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 app du jour that's melting kids' brains. So uh, game, video games, those are melting our brains. There's always something that's melting our brains. And then you ask yourself, okay, well, if the problem was there and this suspect wasn't, well, then that suspect can't be the cause, 
Okay, if the problem was there, if the murder happened, but the suspect wasn't there, then the suspect can't be the cause. Well, we know that people have been complaining about distraction for at least 2,500 years, because that's when Plato, the Greek philosopher, talked about this problem of akrasia. In the Greek, the tendency to do things against our best interest. So 2,500 years before social media, before the internet, before the iPhone, people were talking about kids these days and how distracting the world is and how uh, you know it's so difficult to focus on what needs to get done. Literally, word for word, what we're saying today. So if people have been complaining about this problem for the past 25 years, 2,500 years, it can't be caused by technology. And I, I think, in fact, it's our... It's our intellectual laziness that leads to this moral panic. We always have a moral panic, right? When I was a kid, we didn't have the internet yet when I was a kid. Uh, we were called couch potatoes because we all watched too much TV. And then uh, before that, it was heavy metal music. That was melting our brains. And before that, it was the radio. And before that, it was, you know, it just goes back all the way back to the written word. We know that Socrates hated the written word, this tr terrible new technology of writing things down. What a terrible thing. He said, quote, it would enfeeble men's minds. So if uh, people have been complaining about d distraction and specifically distraction as a, uh, as a uh, sorry, technology as a scapegoat for distraction, I think we need to dig deeper, not be so intellectually lazy and look at the root cause of the problem. And that's what I wanted to do. And I turned, it turned out that the root cause of the problem is actually much more interesting and much more empowering than just this knee jerk reaction of saying, oh, it must be whatever latest tech I didn't grow up with. What's the root cause? I mean, I would love to know what your thoughts are and what you found. Yeah. So uh, I really started from first principles and really tried to understand, uh, you know, to, to screen out all the tech critics That's that all they do is uh, tell you it's, it's you know, whatever latest technology is the source of the problem and instead looked at the, the root cause. And so I started really first principles by asking myself, what does that word even mean? What, what is distraction? I'm kind of a word nerd. I want to know the etymology of these words. And when you look at the word distraction... I found that I didn't really understand what that word was about. And the best way to know if you understand something is to ask yourself, do you know the opposite? What's the antonym of that thing? So if you ask most people what's the opposite of distraction, they'll tell you it's focus, right? How many books are written about how to focus? How if people say, oh, I don't want to be distracted, I want to be focused. But focus is not actually the opposite of distraction. The opposite of distraction, if you look at the origin of the word, the opposite of distraction is traction. Of course it is. When you say it out loud, it makes total sense. Traction and distraction. They're opposites. They both come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both come from, the, the, and they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. Reminding us, distraction is not something that happens to us. It is an action that we ourselves take. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do. Things that move you closer to your values, that help you become the kind of person you want to become. The opposite of traction, distraction, is any action that pulls you away from what you said you were going to do, further from your goals, further away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So this isn't just semantics. This is super important because I would argue that any action that you plan in advance with forethought is traction. So we need to stop moralizing and medicalizing these perfectly fine behaviors. There's nothing wrong with watching a video on Netflix. There's nothing wrong with playing a video game. There's nothing wrong with going on social media. Stop moralizing and medicalizing. Somebody tell me why someone playing video games is somehow morally inferior to someone watching a football game mindlessly on TV. What's the difference? There's no difference. Stop you know, being holier than thou. Oh, video games, that's melting your brain when you're watching hours of football on TV. There's no difference. 
as long as you do it with your values in mind and according to your schedule, enjoy. Nobody should criticize you for what you do with your time. Conversely, just because something is a morally superior behavior like work doesn't mean it's not a distraction. I would argue that, that that's the worst type of distraction. So this used to happen to me for, for years. I would get to my desk and I'd say, okay, nothing's going to distract me. I have to work on that big project, that, that deadline's looming. I've been procrastinating. Here I go. I'm going to get started right now. But first, let me check email. Let me just uh, scroll that Slack channel. Let me just do some of the easy things on my to-do list. We can talk about why to-do lists are one of the worst things you can do for your productivity in a minute. And I trick myself into believing that that work-related task was not a distraction because it was work-related, right? It's okay if I check email for 30, 40 minutes. It's all right if I check on industry news, I'm being productive, right? Because I got to do that anyway. But by definition, if it's not what you said you were going to do in advance, it's a distraction. And that's the worst type of distraction because what happens is it tricks you into prioritizing the urgent and the easy work at the expense of the hard and important work you have to do to move your life and career forward. So we've got traction, we've got distraction, okay? Now we have our triggers. And this gets to your question of what is the root cause of distraction? Okay, let me tell you what it tends to be not the root cause of distraction. People tend to blame the pings, dings, and rings. Okay, the usual suspects, it's the phone, it's uh, the computer, it's the, you know, my kids, it's the boss, it's all this stuff outside of me, right? All those pings, dings, and rings. These are called external triggers, external triggers, things in our outside environment. And it can be the source of distraction. But would you believe that studies find that only 10% of the time that we get distracted, 10% are we distracted because of an external trigger, 10%. So what's the other 90%? 90% of the time that we get distracted, we get distracted because of what's called an internal trigger. An internal trigger tends to be an uncomfortable emotional state. Boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, anxiety, uns uh, uh, any of the stress, any of these uncomfortable sensations that we seek to escape. That's 90% of the time we get, to, we get distracted because distraction by and large is an emotion regulation problem. So that's the root cause of the problem is that if you can't deal with discomfort, if you don't know what to do with that underlying emotional dysregulation and you don't have tactics to help you move you towards traction, you're going to try and escape that discomfort with distraction. So it doesn't matter if it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook. You're always going to find something to escape with unless you master those internal triggers or they will become your master. So now we have our framework. Step number one, we have to master those internal triggers. That's the very first, most important 90% of our distractions begin from within. Step number two, we make time for traction. We can talk about how to do that. Step number three, we hack back the external triggers. And step number four, we prevent distraction with packs. And so that's how we become indistractable. This is how we raise indistractable kids. It's how we build an indistractable workplace. And it's how we live indistractable lives. So I know a lot of this comes down to breaking habits, right? Because I think sometimes like, I think a lot of times as, as much as we are responsible for our actions and creating this, this sense of being hyper distracted all the time, a lot of it becomes, you know, subconscious at some point because you've been doing certain things for so long. What advice do you have for somebody to become more self-aware around like habit loops and around some of the things that they're doing on a daily basis that are making them constantly distracted? Okay, so so again, let's start from first principles. 
before we talk about why do we get distracted and why do we procrastinate and, and knowing it's an emotion regulation problem, let's go one step further. Let's ask, what is the seat of human motivation? Why do we do anything and everything? If you ask people what, what motivates people, you're, you're usually going to get some version of carrots and sticks. You've heard this before, right? That everything we do is about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. We now know, neurologically speaking, that is not true. That is not true because we can actually see what's happening in the brain in a way that we couldn't before. That uh, do, Did you ever watch The Matrix? You know that movie, The Matrix, right? I never saw it. That's another, that's another thing. You that I... never saw <laughs> no. The Matrix? No. Are you the, kidding me? <laughs> am I the worst? <laughs> uh, okay. So I got homework for you. Come come visit me in Singapore or somewhere outside the US and watch Matrix on the flight over. <laughs> Okay, so let's skip that metaphor. Uh, you'll have to. I'll have to tell it to you after you watch the movie. I don't want to do any spoilers. But essentially, the point is that we used to think everything was about carrots and sticks. Now we know that the carrot is the stick. The carrot is the stick. That in fact, even the pursuit of pleasurable sensations is psychologically stable, destabilizing. What, what I'm saying is that everything you do, everything you do, is about one thing and one thing only. And that is the desire to escape discomfort. Everything you do, everything all of us do, it's only for one reason. Even the pursuit of pleasurable sensations, wanting, craving, lusting, hunger, these things feel uncomfortable. Even when we want to feel good, the wanting is uncomfortable. There's a reason we say love hurts. It's exactly right. Neurologically speaking, that is exactly what's going on. So when we realize this fact that all human motivation is about a desire to escape discomfort, what that means, therefore, is that time management is pain management. Money management is pain management. Weight management is pain management. Everything is about managing discomfort because all human motivation is about a desire to escape discomfort. So once you realize that fact, all you have to do is to find tools to deal with that discomfort in a healthy way that leads you towards traction rather than what many people do, what distractible people do, is to try and escape that discomfort with a drink or with the television, or with a scroll, or with something to make them feel better in the moment. And so that's really the secret of, uh, of that first step of mastering these internal triggers before they come become your master. And so when it comes to figuring out what is the source of our bad habits, it's exactly what you have to do. You have to become aware of what is the discomfort that you are escaping that precedes the bad habit. So whether it's smoking, whether it's distraction, whether it's Whatever it might be the thing that the bad habit that you do, realizing that you are only doing it to feel something different, to modulate your mood. And so all you have to do is replace the existing uh, uh, distraction with traction by having these tools in your toolkit. And that's, that's what the book is all about, or a big, big chunk of the book is all about. So talk to me about how somebody who's listening to this or, or watching this and they're really resonating with what you're saying. And they're like, you know, I have been so distracted over the last several weeks, last several months, I haven't been getting anything done. And they just feel like they're caught in those, those bad habit loops in that rat race. How I know that you, that you say that the probably like the most important thing somebody can really do is to start to take action, right? Start to gain some traction, you know, in reverse of, of distraction. It's about learning the techniques. It's it's about having the right tools in your toolkit, right? If you if you show up to to work and you're a plumber or a carpenter and you didn't bring your tools, you can't do your work. And so when we show up to our work, 
And we have none of these psychological tools in our toolkit. Are we surprised that we're scrolling and clicking and doing everything but the thing we we plan to do? Because we haven't been trained. We haven't learned these tactics to deal uh, with with these potential distractions. So maybe we'll make it personal. Doug, do you do you? How does this resonate for you? Do you have any distractions in your life? Maybe we can uh, make a case study of you live here. I mean, of course, who doesn't? No, I'm kidding. I mean, I, I think yeah, of course, I, I definitely struggle with distraction. I think just being more full-time with the podcast and with the content stuff, I've noticed myself almost making excuses to spend more time on screens because I can justify it as being part of my job. But then I also find myself doing stuff that's not productive throughout the course of the day. And I find myself scrolling or watching videos that aren't even like relevant to what I need to be working on. So it's become this double-edged sword where it's been great to manage my own schedule completely, work on my own time, create content that helps people. But then I find myself sometimes throughout the day just not being productive. All right. So Doug, you are our guinea pig here. You're going to be our case study. All right. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Okay. All right. So recall back a time when you wanted to do something, you had something planned that you wanted to do with your time. It can be professional, it can be personal, it doesn't matter. Something that you're okay with sharing with us where you wanted to do one thing and then somehow you didn't do that thing. You did something else. What was that thing you did and what took you off track? The more recent, the better. I would say this morning, um, I wanted to get up and go to the gym like first thing this morning at like 5.30, 6 a.m. before our interview, um, which it would have been like off schedule for me because normally I, I work out a little bit later in the day, but I was like, you know what? I want to get it done. And then I woke up, you know, around... 5, 5.30. And I was like, man, I'm kind of feeling a little tired. I will just, you know, end up, you know, getting some work done, catching up on emails. And then I end up like starting to catch phone emails. And then I end up like seeing something on my computer that I wanted to watch because it was, you know, it was a source of like entertainment or news or whatever. And then I clicked on it and then it's like, you know, off to the race. This is awesome. This is awesome. And you're in the fitness industry too. Yes, I am. I mean, I've been in the industry for a long time. This is one of the common misconceptions though, is that like, I think that people assume because you're in the fitness space that you're always going to be like dialed in with the exact time you go to the gym every single day. And I, I mean, listen, nine times out of 10, I'm going to the gym at the time I say I'm going to go. I don't, I'm going to go to, I'm going to still work out today. But the, the the point that's relevant is I, I got up and I was like, I'm going to do it now. And then I decided to do something else. And then that led me down a rabbit hole that wasn't even related to what I wanted to actually do. This is great. The reason I'm, I, I, I mentioned the fact that you're in the fitness industry is that, you know, I wanted to, to make sure that you agree that if you have trouble with it and you're a professional, your clients, your followers, uh, everyone listening to this podcast, imagine how much they struggle with the exact same challenge. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think the the point I want to make is this is very um, like micro compared to the macro that I think a lot of people struggle with and that they just don't go to the gym that day at all, where I know that when we're done the inter- – like I'm going to the gym today. Like I can, I can promise you if I shoot you a text at the end of the day, my workout's done, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas the average person doesn't doesn't go at all, but it's but you know the way we get into shape, the way we we build the life we want is with the moments in our day, 
right? That's that's how our life is built. So let, let's let's make you the case study here because you're I think you're a fantastic example of someone who knows what to do. Okay, it used to be the most common excuse for why people didn't do something was like I didn't know. I I don't know how to exercise. I don't know how to you know what what am I supposed to eat? What kind of protein? All that you know people argue about what type of protein when at the end of the day just go work out. Right? Like that's that's a great first step. And if you don't know how to do something, people. Google it. The problem is not that we don't know what to do. The problem is we don't know how to get out of our own way. We don't know how to stop getting distracted. So you knew what to do, but you and you had every intention of doing it, but it didn't happen. So let's break it down. Okay. So step number one, mastering those internal triggers. I'm guessing that, do you have a home gym or do you go to a gym? No, I go to a gym. You go to a gym. Okay. So 5.30 in the morning, what were you feeling? Can you try and identify what it was that you were feeling before you went to your computer and started doing whatever you were doing, what was the preceding emotion that instead of walking out the door and heading to the gym, what were you feeling? It's 5.30 in the morning. One thing you're probably feeling is you're feeling tired, I'm guessing, at 5.30 in the morning, right? That's not your normal wake-up time, I'm guessing. Or was it? I mean, I get up like not too long after that because I normally have clients um, starting at like 7.30 in the morning. But um, but no, you're right. I think at, what I was feeling was I was overthinking because I'm like, all right. It's 5.30, if I make some coffee, if I, you know, go walk my dog, get to the gym, like, am I going to be, am I going to have to rush my workout to get back in time to shower and prep for this interview and, and that sort of thing? And then I was like, well, I know I have to go, I have a meeting at the gym at 11. So I was like, well, maybe I'll just do it. I'll just go lift before my meeting and then have my meeting at 11. And then ended up getting up, getting on my computer to do some emails. Why did you go on the, your computer to go check some emails? Because I was like, all right, I'm not going to, I don't think it's a, the best timing after all for me to go to the gym at this time. I'll end up going after the interview. And I will, I was just thinking about my day and what I have to do. I was like, I got to, you know, catch up on some emails and go through my inbox a little bit. Let's unpack that. So you've got, you, you're probably a little tired, maybe not, but probably a little tired. You were feeling uncertainty around, should I schedule it now? Should I schedule it later? Uh, a bit of fear around, am I going to make it on time? Am I going to make it back on time for, for that? And then you had this, when you decided, okay, I'm not going to go, you had this gap of time. And so you had this uh, uh, th this need to be productive, this this sense of, well, I got to fill my time with something. With that, is that, is, are there any other emotions? Can you can you name any other feelings? Not really. I mean, I think that, that sums it up. So I was like, all right, if I'm not going to go to the gym and work out, I got to I got to be productive and I got to do something for work. Okay, excellent. All right. So here you're feeling uncertain. You're feeling fearful that you may not make it on time. You're feeling you need to be productive. All of these are feelings. They're not facts. They're feelings, right? It's a subjective perception of reality. We don't know. Maybe you're, maybe, you know, it's, we're not talking about, are they justified? That's a different question altogether. We're talking about the fact that you felt these things and your solution to deal with it was the distraction, because what you intended to do was exercise, and now you did something else. Anything else that is not what you plan to do is a distraction. Okay. So dealing with that discomfort next time would be step one. So for example, when there's a sense of uncertainty, what are you going to do? What are What's the plan in place that you're going to, the, the steps in place that you're going to take to make sure that next time you feel that discomfort, it leads you towards traction rather than distraction. So for example, when there is uncertainty, around how to spend your morning routine, you remind yourself that you have this planned out, for example, right? That if you get into your car or if you walk your dog by X time, you know you will have enough time to get back for the interview, for example, I'm saying. 
So what we need to do is to have those plans in place to make sure that we know what to do with that discomfort next time. And so uncertainty is a very easy one. It actually leads me to the next step of the, of the indistractable model, which is making time for traction. So when did you plan to go to the gym? Did you wake up that morning and say, I'm going to go to the gym? Or did you plan it the night before? I was just thinking about it last night, but I want to come back to something because oh, sure. like, how do you, like, what's the difference between somebody just being distracted? Like you could argue that I was distracted this morning, but I think all, there could also be another point to be made. And this isn't an excuse. I think it's just reality that it made more sense in, rea- in, in reality to go to the gym and work out when I had to be there anyway at 11 o'clock. So how do you, how do you separate those two things like distraction versus making a more logical decision? So this, this leads perfectly to the next point. So for every distraction, there's only three potential reasons. Every distraction always falls into one of three categories. Either it's an internal trigger or trying to escape some uncomfortable sensation. So for you, it was, I don't like that sensation of not being productive. I don't like thinking that I'm not using my time well, which is a negative emotional state that doesn't feel good. So that was an internal trigger. Okay, that was that feeling you were trying to escape. The solution was, let me go. It wasn't, uh, let me go do some push-ups here on the on the couch or on the, on the carpet. Uh, it wasn't, you know, let me go for a shorter run. It was, let me check email as opposed to exercise. Okay, so you that that solution to that discomfort was found by clicking away on your keyboard. Okay, so that's the internal trigger. An external trigger is when there's something outside of you right? Something in your environment, maybe you, your phone, you notice you, there's a notification or whatever. The third reason, and this is very relevant to what you're asking just now, is what's called a planning problem. So internal trigger, external trigger, or a planning problem. So the reason I asked, did you plan to go the night before or the morning of, is that the second step of becoming indistractable is to make time for traction. So all of us, myself included, the only people who are excluded from this rule are people who are retired or children, everyone else, we have to make a time box calendar. So to answer your question, well, what if it just doesn't make sense? Did it make sense or not the night before? Did the facts change overnight? Was there something that all of a sudden was an emergency that you could not have planned for that changed the facts? Probably not, right? You said the night before, I want to wake up at 530. I want to walk the dog. I want to be out the door at six. I want to be back by seven. If those things were in place and on your calendar, they cannot change. Cannot change. You've turned your values into time. One of your values, I'm very, I'm confident, is to take care of your physical health. Okay. So what we have to do is to take that value. Not, we don't just say it. We put it on our calendar. Especially if, like for you, you actually enjoy exercising, right? So you're going to do it sometime per day. But if you're the kind of person like I am, I'm a pretty fit guy at 45 in the best shape of my life, but I used to be clinically obese. And I hate exercise. I hate it. <laughs> and so if you don't like the task, you definitely have to plan it, right? Because what I'm talking about here, it's not the stuff you like, right? If you like doing it, you don't need me to tell you how to do it. You're going to find time to do it because you enjoy it. But the stuff that makes a life worth living, working on your relationship, working out, working on your business, educating yourself, these things are not fun always. They require hard work. Everything worth having in life requires hard work. And so if it's one of your values to have those things, to be the kind of person who gets those things, you have to put that time in your calendar. Okay, so step one, mastering internal triggers. Step two, making time for traction. So having it on your calendar and then backing up to, okay, if I need to be, okay, what's the most important thing of the day? Okay, I've got this interview to do. Well, that means I need to leave the gym at this time. I need to work out this time. I need to walk the dog at this time. I need to shower at that time. And that's all done in advance. 
most people do this about a week's time. Like what I do, I have a week's calendar, time boxed every minute of the day for what I want to do. Not a to-do list, not a to-do list. To-do lists are one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity because they have no constraints, right? You can always add more to a to-do list. And this, this actually sends people down this terrible shame spiral where if you're like I used to be, I would say, oh, you know what? I, I need to start a podcast and I want to write my book and I want to start a business and I want to be a great father and I want to have a great marriage and I want to want to want all this stuff. And none of it had a place on my calendar. So constantly I felt like I wasn't doing enough because I was looking at this list of to-dos, all these things I want, all this output. And what I didn't realize is I wasn't planning the input. What's the input? The input is your time and attention. So to have output, you need input. It's got to be on your calendar. So that's step two. I want to marry two things that you said. So you talked about putting things on your calendar and having this everything planned out a week in advance typically is what really helps people. And then you talked about how to-do lists can actually be detrimental. And you talked about like, you know, I want to start a podcast. I want to start a book. I want to have a great relationship with my wife, kid, that sort of thing. I think a lot of people struggle with that, 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 that latter part in that they see you know, I want to write this book. I want to transform my body. I want this great relationship. I want this. I want that, which might actually be necessary and important to them. And that's part of what they need to plan for to not be distracted and to stop procrastinating. How can they bridge that gap between now putting that stuff on the calendar and making sure that these steps that they're going to take towards achieving that are going to be manageable? And they're going to be motivated to actually follow through with what the calendar says. Yeah, absolutely. So there is no other way other than putting it on your schedule. Can't happen. Doug, you and everyone listening can have anything they want. They can live out their values. They can have the life at one, uh, they want. They can't have it all at once. You can have anything you want. You just can't have it all at once. The only way we have we get to these long-term goals, having a wonderful relationship. I've been married 22 years. It takes consistent effort. I have to have a date day with my wife, right? I we go on walks. They're scheduled in the calendar. We have meals together. It's in the calendar. Because if it's not in the schedule, it gets crushed under the weight of something else. And there's always something else, whether it's the media wants your attention, right? They sell your eyeballs to advertisers. They want your attention. The social media companies certainly want your attention. Your kids want your attention. Your boss wants your attention. So what you have to do is to say, hey, if my values, what are values? Values are attributes of the person you want to become. So if my values include these elements, that time needs to be on your schedule. You know, it's, it's interesting. We're so cheap with our money. Right? Think about all the people who clip coupons. You go out to lunch with them and they want to split the check for lunch. Right? We're so cheap with our money and we're so liberal with our time. We just give our time away to whoever wants it. But it should be exactly the opposite because you can't make more time. You can always make more money. You can always make more money. But I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, you can't make more time. So the only way is to put this stuff on your calendar, turn your values into time, and then you will come to the terrible conclusion – that there isn't enough time in the day. That's what to-do lists never give you. That's what the other gurus never tell you. You can't do it all. So what I'm forcing you to do by putting this time on your calendar, by doing this unbelievably important exercise, I'm making you decide what's more important to you. Is time watching TV more important 
or is time with my family more important? Is time at work more important or is time building my own business more important? The only way to do that is to put that on your calendar. If you put it on a to-do list, you're going to feel like crap because every day you're going to come home, there's all these things you didn't, still didn't do, loser. And that starts to take a psychic toll. And then you hear people saying, like, oh, I'm no good at time management. Maybe I have undiagnosed ADHD. They come up with all kinds of excuses for how somehow they're broken. It's not that they're broken. It's that this stupid time management technique called the to-do list is broken. Because if you just keep it on your to-do list, by the way, there's nothing wrong with writing things down. That's great. Write them down, get them on your brain, but put them in your schedule and measure yourself. This is the most important thing. Measure yourself, not by how much you finished. This is going to blow people's minds. Okay, listen very closely. Stop measuring yourself by how many cute little boxes you checked off. That is the wrong metric. The right metric is, did I do what I said I was going to do? for as long as I said I would, without distraction. That's it. Not did I finish. So when you're working on your next podcast episode, Doug, or whatever it is that that uh, you, you said you were going to do. Watch The Matrix. Watch The Matrix, right? When you watch The Matrix, only watch The Matrix. <laughs> Don't do anything else. When you're working on your podcasting, when you're exercising, if you said, I'm going to exercise from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., that's all you're doing. If you said, I'm going to work on my podcast from 8 to 8.30 that's all you do. That's, that's all you do. And that's all you measure yourself. It's not, did I finish? It's not, did I finish the episode? Did I write the blog post? Did I make my sales calls? It's not about finishing. Why? Because the purpose, the whole benefit of a time box calendar is that now there's a feedback loop. You see, the problem with to-do lists is there's no feedback. So people have all these ambitious goals, but they have no concept of how long things take. In fact, we know, studies find, that people take three times longer to finish something than they originally estimate. It's called a planning fallacy. So when you have a time box calendar and you say, okay, I'm going to work on my podcast for 30 minutes. Okay, well, I, I edited about 20% of the podcast. That means I need five more increments like this to get the whole thing done. Okay, so now you start getting a feedback loop of how long things take you, but you can't get that information unless you time box. So that's absolutely critical. So a lot, a lot in, the, in that answer to the question, but to, to answer your question, this is a holistic system. So the idea is it sounds like a lot, but when, when, you know, when you read the book, you'll see there's these steps that you take that you just have to do one thing from each of these four steps. And then it becomes this self-perpetuating cycle where you see, wait a minute, actually, look, I said what I was going to do and I did it. That's an amazing feeling. Right, And then what's really great is that even your leisure time, you can finally start enjoying. I don't, I don't know if you felt this, but I used to feel this all the time. I call this the tyranny of the to-do list, that even when I would get home and all I want to do is hang out with my daughter or watch some Netflix or just relax, I always felt guilty. I always felt like, oh my God, there's so much I still haven't done today. Right? I still need to go exercise. I still need to go you know, do that thing at work. I still could be doing more. Whereas when you become indistractable, you look at your calendar and you say, okay, what's traction for this exact moment. Traction is what I wrote down. Traction is spend time with my daughter, watch Netflix, play a video game, pray, meditate, paint, doesn't matter. Whatever I said I was going to do, that's traction. Everything else is distraction. And then you can enjoy leisure without guilt. So you said that people make decisions and choices to avoid discomfort, right? So imagine somebody has their calendar blocked off and on their calendar is something like, you know, spend time with my partner, spend time with my wife, spend time with my kids, spend time writing, whatever it is. And they know that by procrastinating that and pushing that off, that's going to cause them more discomfort. First, have date night with your wife and 
you cancel or you push it back, you know that's going to cause a problem in your relationship. So why do people procrastinate with things like that that they know deep down are going to cause them more discomfort in their life if their decisions are rooted in avoiding the discomfort? Yeah, because the pain is not immediate. So uh, when someone doesn't do what they say they're going to do, it's because the immediate relief of that pain is less than the consequences of not doing it. So I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. If, you, if, if I told you uh, this morning when you woke up, uh, Doug, if you don't go to the gym this morning, you're going to have to pay me. I'm going to withdraw magically from your bank account $10,000. Would you have gone to the gym? Uh, yeah, I would have been there at like 4 a.m. No, even, even if you woke up exact same time. I, w- I would have found a way to make it to the gym this morning 100%. Okay. So I, I, I don't – usually I, I give this example not with people who love exercise, but I do this with people who tell me, I just can't. I can't do it. And I say, okay, well, let's run a little experiment. I'm going to give you uh, – I'm, I'm, you're going to have to pay me $10,000 if you don't go. Are you going to go? Yeah, hell yeah. Okay, so we've, we've established you can. Now we're negotiating the price. So the reason people don't do it in the moment is because that pain isn't high enough. The pain of canceling on your wife is less than the the pain of actually doing the work. So I'll cancel my wife another time. No big deal. But then we know what happens. Fast forward and your wife's going to leave you, (laughs) right? That's how relationships dissolve because you're not prioritizing them. So um, the key, so we, we talked about the first and the second step. Master internal triggers, know what to do with that discomfort. There's all kinds of tools, a dozen different techniques that you can use that I talk about in the book. Second is make time for traction, actually planning that time. That's a huge step. Most people, maybe they keep a to-do list, but if you look at their calendar, it's mostly blank. Meeting here, dentist appointment there, but they don't plan the actual things that move them forward in life. You have to plan time for yourself, time for your relationships, and time for your work. And so I show you exactly how to do that in the book. Next is removing the external triggers, all those ping dings and rings. This is very practical, right? This is where I say exactly, okay, how to make your phone indistractable, how to make your computer indistractable, how to never go to indistract to, to meetings that are nothing more than distractions, how to make uh, how to stop getting distracted by email if that's a distraction. So that's where we go very systematically through all these things. And then finally, the last step is to prevent distraction with a pact. Okay. So I'll tell you how I, one of the ways I got in shape, again, I used to be clinically obese. And, uh, one of the ways I got in shape was that I made the pain more immediate. This is called the burn or burn technique, the burn or burn technique. Here's how it works. I decided that one of my values was to take care of my physical fitness. Okay. That I know that my health is very important as it is to most people. If you ask most people, Hey, what are your values? They'll definitely tell you, you know, an attribute of the person I want to become is someone who takes care of their health. Health is very important. If you don't have health, you can't take care of yourself. Okay. Everybody says that. But when you ask them, do you do it? Eh, Maybe yes, maybe no. Right. So for me, I knew that was one of my values. And so I did the other three steps. And then I did this final fourth step, which is I made a price pact with myself through this burn or burn technique. Here's how it works. Every morning when I wake up, I get dressed and in my dresser taped to the wall is a calendar. Okay. And on the calendar for today's date is taped a fresh, crisp $100 bill. Above this calendar, there's a little shelf. And on that shelf is a Bic lighter. And every morning I have a choice to make. I can either burn some calories as I define it, this is not something I, a bet I made with anybody else. It's just for me. To me, it's I need to do some physical activity every day I'm in town. If I'm home, I need to do some push-ups, go to the gym, take a walk, 
go for a swim, do something physical. That's it. Six days a week. So in order to move that $100 bill, I have two choices. I can either burn some calories and do that physical activity or set the $100 bill on fire. I have to, I can't give it away. I can't spend it. I have to light it on fire. Why do I do that? By the way, I've been doing it for four years now. I don't need to do it anymore because now I've used these tactics. I don't need this final, uh, this pact. But having that instrument to remind me, just freaking do some pushups, right? Like go take a walk. You can do it. It's, it's not just going to take you. To, don't make excuses because you made this pact with yourself, this price pact. And that, that illustrates this point that we talked about earlier. If that pain is immediate as a last line of defense. Now, what I don't want people to hear, by the way, is, oh, this is, this is what your book is about. Just do that. If you do not do the other three steps first, you will fail. You will fail 100%. If you just do this pact, it doesn't work. Because if you don't know how to manage your emotions, if you didn't plan the time, and if you didn't hack back the external triggers, you're going to fall on your face. But as a last line of defense, it's very, very effective to build these pacts. How can somebody um, set up their phone to become less distracted? Sure. So this is about external triggers. Uh, and there are so many ways. Um, so one is to uh, get rid of the apps that, uh, that that don't serve you by asking yourself, is this serving me or am I serving it? Okay. So take maybe 15, 20 minutes, ask yourself, which apps can you live without that you don't need? Now, other apps that you do need, right? The ones that uh, uh, are critical to you that in, the, in a sense that they do serve you, keep, but be very judicious. Okay. And make sure that you change those notification settings. Only two thirds of people with a smartphone ever change their notification settings. Can we honestly say that phones are so addictive when two thirds of people don't even take the five minutes to change their notification settings? So I think the only kind of notifications that should be able to reach you are your phone, maybe text messages. I can't think of anything else, right? Like, why is it so important that CNN has breaking alerts on your phone? Really? Like you can't wait till that time scheduled on your calendar to check the news. Of course you can. Don't let them interrupt you throughout the day. Turn off all those pings and dings that don't serve you. Um, another thing we can do is to use the features that are built right into our phones that are 100% free. So a thing that I, I use almost every single day is do not disturb while driving. Everybody's phone comes with this feature. Very few people know about it or use it. Here's how it works. If you're one of these people who says, yeah, but what if there's an emergency, right? I can't put away my phone. I can't work without my phone next to me all the time. Because what if my boss needs me? What if my kids need me? What if there's, you know, my, what if my house is on fire? All right, I get that. Here's what you do. You take out your phone, you hit this feature called do not disturb while driving. iOS has it, Android has it. And what happens if someone calls or texts you, they get an automatic reply that says, I can't talk right now, but if this is urgent, text me the word urgent. And then if they reply with the word urgent, then the message comes through. I've been doing this for over four years. Nobody's ever texted me with the word urgent because all that stuff can wait, right? If it's really such an emergency, uh, then, then it'll come through. But normally that never happens. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. There are dozens and dozens of different things that you can do. Some of them are a lot less effective than others. For example, there's this stupid technique, grayscaling your phone. That's a load of hogwash. That doesn't work. So everything in my book, not only do I use it personally, but it's backed by peer-reviewed studies. So there's 30 pages of citations to peer-reviewed studies uh, that show you exactly how these techniques work and why they work not only on a functional level, but also on a psychological level. We spent a lot of time talking about distraction and I think also like synonymously in a way it, it relates to heavily to procrastination. And I think that if we can master the distractions in our life and become uh, more schedule oriented and sticking 
to the commitments that we make to ourselves that we will, you know, help to eliminate procrastination. Um, talk to me about the, your view on the relationship between distraction and procrastination. Do you believe that distraction is at the root cause of, is the root cause of procrastination and how can somebody cure uh, the relationship of procrastination? Yeah. So procrastination is a subset of distraction. So uh, if I, uh, like, for example, when I used to, before I wrote Indistractable, one of the moments that really changed my life and told me I had to figure out this relationship I had with distraction was when I was with my daughter and we had some daddy-daughter time together, just some quality time. And uh, we, we, we had this book of activities that dads and daughters could play together, you know, make a Sudoku puzzle, uh, you know, all these cute little games. And one of them was to ask each other, if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember that question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said, because in that moment, for some reason, I thought it was a good time to just take out my phone and just do this one quick thing. And when I looked up for my device, she was gone because she realized I was sending her a very clear message. Whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. And she went to go play with some toy outside. So uh, that is not procrastination. That's distraction, right? Because I I wasn't delaying something. Procrastination is always about delaying this uncomfortable sensation. That's a pure distraction. So distraction is the, 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 the superset. Procrastination is one type of distraction. It's just as curable. It's just as solvable. Because there's, there's a wonderful quote by Poelo Coelho. He said, a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. I'm going to say it again. It's so good. A mistake repeated more than once is a decision. So a, a chronic procrastinator is making a decision if they keep procrastinating about the same things. A chronic distractible person, if you keep saying, oh, social media did this and YouTube did that and video games, if it keeps distracting you again and again, you're making a decision to be distractible. An indistractable person says, okay, you got me once. All right, I see what happened there, but I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm going to take steps today to prevent getting distracted tomorrow. And that's what makes you indistractable. How have you learned to deal with boredom over the years? So that's what these internal triggers, that, that's what mastering these internal triggers are all about. So identifying the emotion, that's the first step, if you can name that sensation, and then have a tool in your toolkit to deal with that discomfort in a healthy way. So one thing that I do every day, um, it's in, it's, you know, there's a dozen different techniques in the book. This is one of my favorites. It's called the 10-minute rule. The 10-minute rule says that you can give in to any distraction in 10 minutes, in 10 minutes. So not, not right now, I can give in in 10 minutes. What this does, it disarms what's called psychological reactance. Psychological reactance is this tendency that we all have that when we're told what to do, we rebel. So don't tell yourself, no, I can't do it. Tell yourself, not yet. And so what I'll do, so you know, I write every day. I've been a professional author for over a decade. And every day when I write, all I want to do is something else, right? I want to go check email. I want to go look at the stock prices. I want to go read the news. I want to do everything else but the reading. Uh, sorry, but the writing. And so what I tell myself is, okay, I can give in to that temptation in 10 minutes. Okay, and now I have a choice to make. I can get back to the task at hand, or I can do what's called surf the urge. Surfing the urge acknowledges that these emotions are like waves. They crest, and then they subside. So if you can learn to surf that urge like a surfer on a surfboard, you can last through that discomfort long enough to get through the other side. So what I do is... If I'm writing or uh, I'm doing a task that that's that's that I I feel this pull of distraction, I'll take a deep breath, I'll close my eyes, and maybe I'll repeat a mantra. I have a mantra that I repeat. You can steal it or make up your own, but mine is: This is what it feels like to get better. This is what it feels like to get better. 
And just taking a moment, taking a breath and reminding myself that that discomfort is normal. I think a lot of people think if I feel discomfort, it's bad. Feeling bad is bad. No, feeling bad is not bad. Feeling bad is a signal. It's just a message, just information. You don't have to react on it. You don't have to believe everything you think. So having these tools in your toolkit, like the 10 minute rule, like surfing the urge, there's a dozen more in the book as well. These are how we have these tools in our toolkit so that, okay, when I experience this type of emotion, here's what I do. When I experience this type of situation, I'm ready for it. I know what to do to lead me towards traction rather than escaping with distraction. Well, Nir, this has been awesome. I wanted to thank you so much for your time and helping people become less distracted and helping them to overcome procrastination. If people want to follow your work, if they want to grab your books, where's the best place to do that? Absolutely. So my website is nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R-N-F-A-R.com. And if you go specifically to indistractable.com, that's spelled I-N, the word distract, A-B-L-E, so indistractable.com. It's actually an 80-page workbook there that's completely free. It's complimentary. We couldn't fit it into the final edition of the book, so we decided to give it away for free on my website. So check that out at indistractable.com, and that'll start you on your journey. I will be sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Nir, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Doug.